What's good, folks? Uh, welcome to the Three Times Dope Podcast. What's that? What go on? What go on? We say we miss you, boy, but I see you in two long weeks. We say what's good. Ain't you looking all tan? And given we live in a world where the weather is unpredictable, you looking real bohemian. No, it's just because I lightened my hair. So with lighter hair, it brings out my caramel undertones. I'm is here. That- I'm here in DC. I wore Uggs today. It's cold. <laughs> is that what it is? Because you look. Yeah. It's just because my hair is lighter. That's are those glasses? Me miss you, boy. What are you doing now? How you been? Are those? What? Where are those glasses from? Are those Wardy Parkers? Yeah. No. Um, no. These well, are probably don't these- take a bonus. Man, sirs, these are beauty supply store nine ninety nine. Stop playing with me. <laughs> let me let me let me you find my glasses. You know, money on glasses. You know how often people drop often... glasses, break glasses. Oh, oh, stop! Where are my glasses? Oh no, you do. Feel, my mama told me early on, you do not go cheap on glasses. These no. are from the beauty supply store. Oh no, you oh. get no. Oh no, but you know when you got three astigmatisms and you have blind and got quadruple focals like me. You got to go top shelf. Well, let me say, these are just to, to give the aesthetic. The glasses that I need to see with are in the car and I need them to drive. I didn't realize um, how quickly your sight leads you when you become um, more t- veteran, more senior. And I'm going to, you, know, more Yo, you, mean, you mean old? <laughs> I'm not old. I'm just, I'm just maturing. <laughs> Yo, hey, and so is your sight. <laughs> Listen, I missed the exit a couple weeks ago. I couldn't even see the thing. I was like, oh, wait, we have to get down in West Virginia somewhere. Yeah. Hey, so, all right, so let's get, let's get, let's get cracking. Like, we already know what the main event is. So we're going to build up to it, right? Uh, And so, uh, because if we we start with it, we're going to end with it. (laughs) (laughs) So, so first and foremost, man, what what are y'all reading? What what are y'all reading right now? Like me, man. oh oh yeah. So as soon as I start with you, what are you reading? I got three things that I'm reading because y'all know I read two three at a time. The first one is Rochelle Ricketts' book, "Do Better: okay. Spiritual Activism for Fighting and Healing for White Supremacy." I need this in my life. So, <laughs> okay. That's that one. I'm actually started reading this one on a flight. Say their names, how Black Lives Matter came to matter in America. My last one is with uh, this one here. This might be a big controversy. Right? Well, what, you, well, what, what, what made you pick that one up? So I have one of my doc students who is really interested in feminism and the problematic ways in which feminism appears in the research Mm -hmm. and how Brittany Cooper and others have challenged our understanding of feminism when it's framed as this white construct. Okay. Without acknowledging the ways that racism is a part of the history of the feminist movement, Gloria Steinem, et cetera, et cetera. And so One of the things I always say to my doc students, I'm going to work with you when you're doing your dissertation, especially if it's a content area that, yeah, I know about black women in teaching because she's writing about 
uh, she decided to write about black women who are millennial educators. So I was like, and she wants to use uh, critical race feminist theory, like, and pull all That's this great. stuff together. Okay. So I'm yeah. like, all right, cool. Like, I'm going to read with you while you write. And I always commit to try to do that with my doc students. And when they're done, I always send them the book that I read while they're doing their dissertation as a way to build solidarity okay. with them because I know how lonely the journey is. So yeah, so that's what got me to this book. I haven't actually started reading it, um, but it, it is something that I carried with me. Um, and, and I also find that, you know, <clears throat> it's important to do this analysis and the nuance of our, of our world at this particular point. And when I read that, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right, like, people ain't going to talk to me on the plane, first of all, with a cover like that. <laughs> so, you know, like, and, and, and again, I think that, um, you know, Nicole Hannah-Jones had this post, and I shared it on Twitter about when we start banning books, that's the end of democracies. And as the son of a librarian, my mother always taught me, read whatever you want, son because that's where you're going to find your sustenance and your knowledge. And so for me, I'm like, I'm going to read what I want to read. And like, you know, right, somebody might be I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not about to let you sit up here and plug uh, NHJ quotes when she's done blocking <laughs> on Twitter. Like, I don't I don't feel that energy, bro. Like, and, you know, and honestly, she blocked me on Twitter, and I don't even know if it was my fault. H, what you reading? <laughs> so I am reading um, an amazing book. It's yes. called The Educational Success of Black Women and Girls by Dr. Lord Patton, Dr. Venus Evans Winters, and my chair, Charlotte Jacobs. Um, they had a book launch last week. Um, it just talks about the importance of the ways we need to center Black women and girls. Um, they talk about the ways that Black boys and men have often been um, the focus of attention and that because of that and we talk about how women are doing better than men. And so in that conversation gets lost black women. They also talk um, about all the things around mentoring, about digital connections, about the importance of learning, the importance of leading and teaching. And so I'm reading that. So I usually, unlike Doc, I can't read that many books at the same time, but I can read one book and listen to a book on Audible. And so on Audible, I'm listening to um, Red Lip Theology. And, um, and that's really interesting, too. Have you read that or heard of it before? Oh, what's that one called? It's called Red Lipstick Theology. Let me make sure that I'm saying it right. Red Lip Theology. Um, mm. And it's really good. And she talks about um, she was a, a student at Duke. And she was um, in theology programs to be a minister. She talks about this disappointment in the Black church and how it often did not protect Black women and girls. Mm. And a lot mm. of the patriarchy in the center around like what women are supposed to do. She tells the story of how her mother and father were never married. And it was her mother who they asked to stand up in front of the church and apologize for being a a preg being pregnant and unmarried and not the father and all of the ways that we think about patriarchy and sexism and centering that in the center of the church and the role that the black church plays in often um, not protecting black women and girls like the world doesn't and holding on to some real um, 
sometimes sexist, exploitative, and dangerous, sometimes violent opinions about what women and girls should do. So that that's what I'm reading. That's what's up. All yeah. Right. So uh, for me, I'm reading uh, Fugitive Pedagogy by John. Yeah. And so hitting home whenever I get some free time to read, because I rarely get free time to read, uh, given the fact that I'm always uh, in somebody's database <laughs> looking up research articles uh, for my dissertation. Yeah. And then uh, something that I do want to read is called uh, Dismantling a Broken System uh, by my homie Zach Wright. Uh, follows me on Twitter. Um, so those are two books that, uh, well, Fugitive Pedagogy I'm into uh, and uh, Dismantling Broken Systems is something that I want to get into. Okay. So if you are in the if you are in the audience, let us know what you're reading in the audience. Uh, put it in the chat and if you're not reading anything, you better start reading something because the literate it's important to be literate and it's yeah. important to always be learning. Right? Yeah. And so Next up, man, exercise regiments. Uh, let's talk about it, right? And so, had a health scare recently. Uh, numbers didn't look the way that I needed to look, needed them to look. And like, I'm a pretty like healthy person, right? But like, sometimes when you, you know, when you're dissertating and you're stressed and you're like not focused on the things that you need to be focused on, things can get out of hand kind of quick. And so, you know, you got to get those things back together. And so one of the things that's been helpful for me is uh is uh, Apple Fitness, right? So like mm -hmm. using Apple Fitness, uh getting on my bike, riding, taking walks, uh hitting the gym, uh you know, getting it back in, right? But like understanding the fact that I'm 45 now. I'm not 25, you know? So it's like mm -hmm. you know, the things that I used to be able to do, I got to stretch now, right? Uh the weight that I used to be able to lift in the gym, I need a spot now. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and all, all those types of things that you know you ain't he man no more, right? And so you know that that's that's a lot to to to, to the male ego when you get in there. And you're like, yeah, man, I used to I used to be able to do this, right? And now you can't do that no more, right? And so just uh, checking in with y'all on y'all health journey, like what's happening with you, Doc? <laughs> I, I mean, both of y'all docs, but it's on you. I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, Dr. Harrison, you know, I, I don't. All right, man, let me get off of you then. All right. <laughs> Dr. Harrison. Hey, time out. If I'm not mistaken, I remember a, a time we were together back towards the beginning of the year yeah. where one Dr. Robert Simmons said he was going to make a commitment yep. to, to reclaiming his health. We talked about like a chicken yep. sandwich and yep. Burger King and That's how we were going partners. Yes. Put the spotlight back on Dr. Simmons and have him address this question that I feel like he lingered on. So I, I, I've been working at it and uh, my oldest son uh, made the travel basketball team. It's his pathway to AAU. He think he LeBron James. So he knocking down Jay's mid-range jumpers. He's trying to coach me on the mid-range jumper. He told me the mid-range jumper is how you make the money. Of course, it is. I was like, You're right. Get you. So he got a dope mid-range jumper. We leave school today. I said, all right, well, I'm doing a podcast, so, you know. And so what, what you want for dinner? He's like, dad, we going to Chopped. I was like, Chopped? You <laughs> salad? <laughs> I was like, huh. 
like, what? He said, so dad, like, I'm gonna need you to get a salad with me. And I'm like, where they do this at? Man, like, I'm the I'm the parent. <laughs> it's like I'm trying to get my get myself together. I know, you know, we 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 got out on there to court, dad, and you was kind of working with me. So like I need you to be healthy, you know, so as I do my thing, I, I can Yeah. So uh for my for my oldest son John uh I've committed to lose uh 20 pounds between now and the end of this travel basketball season which is like June July. That's a lot of, that's, that's, a, that's a that's a lot of weight. That's not enough. That's not a lot of time. So uh so I started uh last week actually um by getting rid of my uh y'all will be impressed. Uh I was in close proximity to the Waffle House, I could see it. I could smell it. I could feel the bacon on my hands, and I kept going. So I'm committed to being better for my little guy, because uh, as I told him, I don't care how old you are, uh, I'm still going to drop uh 10 on you when we play the 10 and I might let you score five. Uh, he's up to four points. That's like his average when we play the 10. So uh, he's increased it by two points in two weeks. So I'm like, Oh, I got to get my act together. <laughs> so I'm trying to be committed to it. And uh, I'll admit working from home the majority of time. And then when I have to travel for work, it's not helpful uh, because it doesn't force me to, get out. So I think I need to be better and do better at that. Uh, but I made the first step by passing up Waffle House because y'all know Waffle House. Man, you, man, you, you, we, they're not, they not our sponsors, man. Hey, I saw, I saw, I saw somebody's stock, uh, some, somebody's, um, what, what is it called when, when they, uh, your, your, your earnings. Quarterly earnings. Yeah, your quarterly earnings. I saw somebody stock quarterly earnings today. I quarterly see, earnings was I nice. see somebody out here sticking their chest out, but I ain't going to, you know. <laughs> quarterly earnings was nice. I ain't so, mad at it. So, H, what's happening? What's your, what's your, uh, what's going on? So, I don't, um, I don't belong to a gym. Mm-hmm. I'm not a part of any competitive sports. Um, I also don't like people yelling at me. So like the whole go to a gym and have a trainer, you can do a cup. Like, yep, nope, I'm not interested. That doesn't motivate me. I'm more of an intrinsic motivate person. Um, I do have a Fitbit, which you tried to clown me for the other day. And I do pay attention to my steps. But I will say um, we did find out that Penn will be having a formal graduation this year and a hooding ceremony. So like you, I've been work I had been working on my dissertation during the pandemic and we had a virtual graduation like thing last year. But now that things have improved with COVID cases, they realize that this is a, a huge investment and something that I should be really proud of. So I said that to say they have scheduled a hooding ceremony in May, and mm-hmm. I am committed to a particular piece of clothing that I'm going to be in and look amazing for that day. So I don't have a regiment, but I have decided that April, I would give myself 50 days from April 1st to May 22nd. 
to try to pull it together so that I can. And and again, it's about looking good and feeling good. It's about your rest. It's about your intake. There's a bunch of people who don't sleep, who worry about everything, who aren't taking good care of their relationships. And so the exercise regimen is just one piece of a whole lot of different pieces towards being healthy. But you mentioned before that, you know, this kind of came up as you're going through your dissertation. And I think We've talked about this offline. That's something that a lot of people don't talk oh, about. They don't yeah, take a talk about yeah, the, the yeah. way that this journey impacts um, who you are. One of the times we were early in our program, they said, if you have any cracks in anything, they will show up during this process. Yeah. If you have any relationship cracks, like if you have any financial stuff, if you've got some trauma things, if you've got some poor eating habits, if you've got some worry stuff, some health stuff, that the process of going through this dissertation in graduate school hey, mm. on top of the pandemic, on yeah. top of living in the world we live in can be really, yeah. really damaging to you. So shout out that you like saw that and took ownership of it and tried to do something different. Um, I'm, just trying to get through, I'm just trying to get through 22 so y'all don't have to finish my dissertation posthumous. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> ah, all right. Uh, centering on this health thing, man. I I got another question for y'all, right? Why the hell is it so expensive to eat healthy? And so let me grab the screen and give y'all my example, right? So I am a uh, so I look at uh, the ingredients and I look at I look at everything. Like I look at calories, carbohydrates, sugars, everything that I eat, everything that goes into my body. I try to do like expensive research on it, right? And so I'm looking at breads, right? And like the majority of breads have like this high sugar count or whatever, and they have this high carb count. And lo and behold, I walk up and, and, and find a keto bread, right? And so as I'm looking at this keto bread, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, damn, it has to taste horrible because there's nothing in it, right? And so I'm like, man, all right, there's no sugars in this. There's no, but it's going to do the job because I'm going to put some peanut butter on it. I put my sugar-free jelly on it. I'm going to be good, right? So I go to price this bread. And why does this bread cost a car payment? Is what I'm trying to understand. And mm. in, 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 in America, you shouldn't have to pay a mortgage payment in order to eat healthy, right? It's like they feed you these process, they, they, they allow you to buy these processed foods for cheap. And these processed foods, they kind of they they enhance your 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 unhealthiness, right? And so like you end up at the doctor, you end up being prescribed medicine, right? And so it's like all these things that contribute to a slow and unhealthy life, right? I just want to live good. I want to live a whole foods life. Yeah, I get it. But, you know, I don't think it, the, the real question isn't, it's both. Why is it so expensive to eat healthy and why is it so cheap to eat poorly? Because it could, mm. it might not even necessarily be that those things are expensive. That could be what the price is. But if it mm. doesn't have red dye number nine in it, and you can't mass produce it, and it doesn't come in a bag, and it's not like so, I think it's it's more for us to be thinking about all of the ways that we talk about food access, which Doc knows intimately about. We talk about access. We talk about convenience. We talk about transportation. We talk about the diet. We also talk about how a lot of our eating habits are passed down culturally, like Mm -hmm. the ways that we eat. I saw a study years ago that talked about how your refrigerator 
probably looks very close to the way your refrigerator did when you were growing up and how they're just mm. ways that mm. you like if we always had milk and bread and bananas in the house even if nobody eats it now i always have milk bread and bananas in the house and just what the way those things are it's just because it becomes a part of your habits and the things that you do and so i think oh. we got to talk about that but but it is it's it's both why is it so expensive and why is it so cheap to eat poorly and who do we know that is eating poorly and what is the impact that that has on their lives? Yeah. Hey, uh, we got we got Robin in the audience. What up, Robin? Robin is a uh, a PhD student down at Pitt. Uh, she was at Temple, and then she uh, took her work out. Oh, at, at, uh, at oh, Pitt. Robin, hood yeah. it. Come on with it. <laughs> hey, Robin, it's definitely a show that we should think about. Hit me. Uh, me and you arguing right now because you talk too smart in my messages. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, hit me. This is definitely a show we could get into. Um. <laughs> um. But yeah. So. So. What's your thoughts, man? You. You. You worked in food. Uh. In. In. In that industry. Yeah. Uh, y'all know. I mean, I think part of it is it's not just. It's it's expensive it to eat healthy, but it doesn't have to be in our communities if we understand Garvey's articulation of self determination. Right. Because. Uh. <laughs> The current administration, and I'll just leave it at that, in this D.C. government hasn't been as forceful about community gardens as they have with random buildings popping up, uh, new schools being built in places where kids don't actually live, which is a whole other conversation about the construction of schools. Not wrong with school, rather schools and jails. Yeah, so I mean, like, well, when schools almost function like jails with the nexus of schools and prisons, oh, sorry, um, open up a whole other conversation. But anyway, um, I just find that there's a lack of commitment from our policymakers if they're not going to bring healthy, inexpensive grocery stores to our communities, then let us grow our own produce. Mm. Let us train ourselves, which is the nature of our economy going back to the deep South, you know, like American capitalism exists because black folks were masters of the agricultural cycle of growing things. Yeah. But black folks ain't getting subsidies, bro. Like we're not the ones that's getting. So, oh, I mean, the way, the way the U S government doesn't give the same subsidies to black farmers is disgusting. And yeah. for those that really want to dig in for those that are uh, in doctoral programs, Go look at the USDA's budget and then get back to me about how many for-profit prisons the USDA is actually funding, right? Like do that type of policy analysis and then somebody come tell me, does the USDA really care about what we eat? No, we know. Absolutely not. So, you know, and, and shout out to a lot of the hydroponic gardens that you're seeing in D.C., um, because I think there's a lot of good work going on. Uh, when H was running her school, she was yeah, all her, her face just lit up. You saw it, right? Yeah, yeah. because we had one. 
we wrote a grant. We had one on the top of the um, school. We also had a partnership with Food Prints. So y'all so so had, a, had a, hydro, uh, a hydro garden on top we of the prison. Did. We wrote a grant through EcoRise to get that funded. It was it it was all a part of this whole conversation around what is right. something we were talking about why kids were tired and what they had for dinner and what they had for breakfast and how many of them were eating out and why their parents didn't get a chance to cook and they were like, well, if we had more vegetables and 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 fruits, then we would eat more. We would eat better than we do and so then that turned into a grant around um starting an herb garden and selling herbs which started into making a recipe book and selling that and then using that money to to buy more activity buy more seeds and start again and we have food prints in our school and lots of other schools in dc where the young people have a garden we have a classroom kitchen they go from from farm to table to eat share know learn like this whole thing they grow carrots, they then use carrots, make the things with it, go around, share. It's about changing habits and generational interactions and engagements with food and not just like what we eat out. Um, and so, yes, I, yeah, we can do that. That is, that uh, is something I would love to talk more about. If I had my way, that's what I would do. I would buy a bunch of land and make a boarding school for little black girls. We talk about this. Why yeah. can't you do that? There's probably no reason, but but in my mind, that's yeah. I don't know. We'll talk about that. Hey, oh, our, our yeah, dream. We, we, can, we can definitely talk about that. But hey, listen, because hey, if you want if you want to run it from the executive side, I'll definitely. <laughs> hey, I'll leave the school. He, hey, he's I, I, staying. He's staying recruitment mode. Hey, I respect that about my dog. Like he, hey, he be like so. Hey, listen. Hey, so 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 much so much. In fact, that I. I you, I hang out with good leaders, right? So, like, when I see them at their most vulnerable moments, like, one of my boys, he posted, he was like, I got to get my resume ready. I immediately text him, like, yo, I got a job for you. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> you you straight in your resume just no. as here. I got a job for you. He was like, nah, nah, nah. Something I want to do in, in, my, in my own organization. I was like, all right, I'm just letting you know. <laughs> when you ready, just come yeah. out at me. Yeah, hey, listen, I mean, listen. you know, <laughs> But Ray, but Ray, on a different topic to that, though, how many school leaders actually know how to recruit good staff? Listen, so not very many. Mm. And that's why that's why the turnover is the way that it is. Right. Because like if you if you so first and foremost, when you uh, mm. when you're recruiting staff. Yeah. You got to recruit for your blind spots. You got to recruit for the not the things that you don't want to do. Yeah. But for the things that you're just not good at and you want to learn how to do better. Right. And so all the people that you recruit are potentially your successors. And you have to look at it that way. Uh, a lot of people don't hire well because they're threatened by folks that can come in and outshine them. I want you to outshine me, right? So that I can learn from you and I can get better. And there's some things that you could probably learn from me and you can get better at it as well, right? But like a lot of people don't really share that mindset and, and they're threatened. And so that's why schools don't really flourish the way that they, they should. But we got to move on. So this is a buildup. We're getting there. We're getting there. It's like it's like that lesson when you know you, it's a really good lesson and you know it's gonna hit, right? But you gotta hit all of the required <laughs> things in order for yeah. yeah. So hey, top five comedians. Who, who are your top five? H, because you always got a top five running. Do I have a? Do I? You know, I've got a really weird relationship with comedy. Mm -hmm. I don't really like the people that. A lot of people like, and okay. I don't know that I have a 
I got them not going to comedy. Give me, a, give me a couple people that you think are just hella funny, and we'll go with that, folks. If you in the audience, give us your top five. Who who I are the comedians that? Funny. Who? I think Cat Williams. I think Cat Williams. Oh, of course. What? Yes. Um, I think old Eddie Murphy, like raw and delirious, was funny. Any Eddie Murphy is funny. But go ahead. Um, who else is funny? That okay, 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 okay. We ain't gonna, we ain't gonna do you that. Doc, who? I got my list. Yeah, you got a list. I got my list. I was going through it. Yeah. As I, uh, as you asked the question. Yep. Because I was like, oh. So, yep. uh, first, the funniest comedian I ever heard, and was the only comedian I ever bought on tape. Yeah. Robin Harrison, Baby's What? <laughs> R.I.P. Baby's kids. They don't die. They multiply. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It up. The second one is Richard Pryor. Of course. Go. He was a genius. He just was amazing as a comedian. Right? Mm -hmm. Then the late, great Bernie Mac. Bernie what? Mac was the funniest of all the kings of comedy. Really? Yeah. Like he would say stuff that you had no business laughing at. Yes. Yes. Milk and cookies. <laughs> Milk and cookies. <laughs> right? Had no business laughing at. Hey, Bernie Mac would be canceled right now. <laughs> oh, he'd be totally canceled. Right? Totally. Yeah. My fourth one is Cat Williams. Okay. I remember when Cat Williams came riding out on a tricycle one time in Detroit. I went to see him and I was like, what is he doing? Yeah, and he fell over on the tricycle. Yeah, yeah, and it was all like he just kept it rolling. Yeah, my last two is Cedric the Entertainer. Okay, because Cedric the Entertainer was smooth. I always liked his hats, and he just was was just that dude. The last one is uh, Chris Tucker. Right, what? I always found Chris Tucker to be funny in Friday. Like, I only okay. saw him maybe once or twice as a stand-up, but I always found him to be so funny in Friday, and I just, I don't know, I just, he was the highlight of Friday for me. It wasn't Debo, wasn't Cube. I mean, Chris Tucker just was, he was wild, right? And, yeah. and like, the way he told comedy about smoking weed always cracked me up. Yeah. Because I would just feel like, dog. Yeah. You really smoke weed. Like you have to in yeah, order like to tell really, really, really some good. of those stories, right? Yeah. Anyway, so those are my six okay. top five comedians. That's what's up. All right. So let me share my list out, man. So like number one, the GOAT, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy is the GOAT, right? Like so Eddie, we uh got a chance to watch uh clips of Eddie Murphy Raw the other day, right? And like that's still funny today, right? So like I that, that that's how I kind of that's how I look at, at comedians. Like, oh, if you did something 20 years ago, is it still funny today? Is it timeless, right? And so a lot of Eddie Murphy's material is timeless. Um, Dave Chappelle, even with the current controversy, I still think that David Chappelle is very funny. And he's GOAT status. And I know that this is controversial, and I'm okay with that. But Dave Chappelle is GOAT status. Red Fox, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yo, like, were you, like, getting down Dirty, like funny, funny, funny. Red Fox is hilarious. Um, you said Richard Pryor. 
Martin Lawrence. I think people sleep on Martin Lawrence as a stand-up as a stand-up person. They sleep on like the roles, kid and the kid and play roles, and like everything that Martin Lawrence has done in terms of like his body of work. And then you can watch Martin right now and die. <laughs> like I can watch Martin right now and be like, damn, they did that on TV on national television. Right? Oh yeah. um, I like Damon Wayans. I think that Damon Wayans is underappreciated, right? I think that they don't appreciate the ball head guy, right? Because he's the sec the second oldest or whatever. They give all the props to Keenan and they don't give Damon any props. And Chris Rock. Chris Rock is hella funny. Chris Rock has always been funny. He Chris Rock touches on things that people don't necessarily touch on. And I don't want him getting smacked in the face to take away from <laughs> the level of humor and joy that he has brought to people, right? Which brings us to our next topic. So can I ask a question before you go on? So a question in the comments. So first the question is, you would probably take my black card away because I've never watched Friday. I never watched Everybody Hates Chris. I know, I'm sorry. Um, I've ne I never watched the Chappelle show. Please don't mute me and like take, I know, shock and amaze. I, and while I liked Martin, you know, we, I was, I had some trouble with it. <laughs> I had some trouble with it. I, you know, I was a sociology major in the 90s. And so I couldn't really enjoy things. I was like being critical of it and trying to oh. like understand it and put it in perspective. I never watched the Bernie Mac show. Um, yeah. And I also want to hear. You, is this a commercial? You, you didn't name yeah. any I don't know what's happening. Is this a commercial? <laughs> Are we women and any white people? But your question was not who's your top black comedians? Are there no funny women or no funny white people? There are Cheryl Underwood. No comedy. Cheryl Underwood was funny. That's what you're trying to do here. That's what that's what you're gonna do here. <laughs> Cheryl Underwood was funny. She was funny. Cheryl Underwood? Yeah, Cheryl Underwood's hella funny. Oh my was god! Funny? Do people yeah, like? I, I, I think I think Monique is hilarious. I think uh, I think Whoopi Goldberg is funny. Um, funny. I think Whoopi Goldberg is hilarious. Nah, I can't get with you on Whoopi Goldberg. I thought she was stale. Really? Oh yeah. Man, anybody anybody that dates Ted Danson has got to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe somebody can send me some recommendations of something that I that I need to watch. But I know oh, man, hey, listen, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll you know, so, so Robin hit on an important point here. She said like, I was waiting for Red Fox. Okay, I'm a Bill Cosby standups, and I don't want to say it because you know of everything yeah. that is happening now. But Bill, Robin, Co don't don't put Bill, don't put don't Bill Cosby <laughs> out here. <laughs> we're gonna have to bring Robin on the show so we can have this conversation. Yeah, we're gonna have to get Robin on here. Um, uh. I like, I like Seinfeld. I like Seinfeld, Seinfeld a lot. funny. Yeah. Oh, okay. Women. Cheech and Chong were you, some more. Wanda Sykes. Wanda Sykes is funny. And folks, if you're in Samoa's this audience funny. right now, you think and you you're thinking that a, a, a female comedian is is hilarious. Drop them in the chat so we can we can uh, expand our knowledge base and we can get Heather out here learning. <laughs> <laughs> no, Wanda Sykes went to Hampton. <laughs> There it is. Okay, some more is yeah, like, hey, you know, if, you, if you go to Hampton, you got to be funny. Like wow, here you go. <laughs> Shots fired. All right, Ellen. Ellen is Ellen is funny. 
Mon- yeah, funny Monique. or entertaining? Nah, it's funny. It's just entertaining. Funny? Really? What's it? So what's it? What, what, what would you guys say is the difference between being funny and entertaining? So I feel like Seinfeld and Ellen are entertaining because they make me laugh during a scripted kind of like show, mm-hmm. not like stand-up comedian. Like stand-up. Will, so it just it feels like that's a. You know who you you know who you didn't say. Somebody who I don't think is funny at all, right? Uh, Tiffany Haddish. You never, nobody ever said that. Nobody said that in, I don't in think the. She's Haddish funny. is terrible. Yeah. She's terrible. Somebody, nobody said that in the comments. I went to see somebody, her in concert here in yeah. DC. Yeah. I wanted my money back. <laughs> and, she, and she cannot take constructive uh, criticism either. Like you criticize her, then all of a sudden you come for black women. But I mean, people are always coming for black women, so it's hard to distinguish. Hey, that's an interesting segue here. Segue. <laughs> so so before we get even get into it into the, the uh the oscars right let's get a working definition of what it means to protect black women in different spaces right and so h we'll let you go second only because uh you're in these spaces and and i want to hear from you because directly because i want to know how you want to be protected right and so that that'll be the, the frame of reference. So so Doc, we'll start with you. What what um what does it what does it look like? I think that um you know I don't I don't always think that protecting black women has to involve physicality. Mm-hmm. It can if necessary. But I also think that there's this level of hypermasculinity that pushes us to this space where in order for me to defend you, I have to be violent, right? And it could be that as a form of protection, I have to resort to laying hands on you or other things. But I also think about being, for me, as a trained researcher and an academic, it's about protecting them as colleagues and as equal partners in the work. Where I've been in numerous spaces where I've co-authored things with Black women. Uh, Shout out to uh, Cecilia up at St. John's, uh, who we just did a piece on Black mentoring, mentoring Black students. And somebody hit me up like, hey, would you be willing to talk about the article y'all wrote? And I was like, I'm not the lead author on that article. I was a sidekick. Like, you need to call her. Here go her information, right? So I think it looks different depending on context, right? But I also think that... Um, we have to acknowledge that what type of society have we created as black men where black women need to be protected? Like we can't, to Heather's point about the book, we can't feign as if we haven't contributed to that through various structures, whether it's the black church and the ways in which we propagate, um, hyper-Black masculinity in the Black church, the ways in which, as Black men, we don't check other Black men 
when they say, what up, shorty? Like, let me, let me holler at you for a minute, right? Like, we just oftentimes let it, let it pass. So I, I think there's both physical, emotional, and the intellectual protection as I see it and have experienced it both in my personal life and in my professional life. That's what's up. H, how you want to be protected in this space? Yeah, so anytime someone asks, I always try to like boil it down to its simplest things, right? And so if we just look up what the word protect means. So protect means to keep safe from harm and injury, to preserve or to guarantee against threat or harm, no matter what that can be. So it also, it's protection and like not rescue. So I, I've heard a lot of people talk about, well, women don't need to be rescued or, well, you know, I can do it myself and that's fine, right? But protect and rescue are two different things. Mm. Protection to me, for me, means acting with and engaging with me in a way that sees me for who I am and not for what I can do or for what you think I am in whatever space that is. Yeah. It means governing yourself and others in a way that shows that I matter and that I am here and that I am a valuable member that I, I deserve to be, right? That you conduct yourself in a way as a colleague and a friend as a, and a peer that allows me to be safe. If we know that the world is centered in a way that centers white maleness, right? White patriarchy sitting in the middle. And so if we're in a room full of all men, then the woman is at the bottom. If we're in a room full of all black people, men and women, then the women are still in some way situated, not at the top with them. So if you take both race and gender and put them together, that means, and, and let's not even talk about disability, right? Because there's some ableism too, right? So we got to talk about what happens if we make those circles and as far as you are. So you are black and you are a woman and you have a disability or you don't speak English as a first language or you worship in a different kind of way. All of those things make you vulnerable to attacks, to, to, to violence, right? Like whether it be literal or physical violence. Yeah. So I just think protecting me means acting like my safety is okay and acting like, and an accountability to me that goes without saying. And, and you would treat me like someone who matters, like someone whose existence matters. But a lot of times we can't protect black women because we don't see them as anything other than what we wanna see them for. And so if all I see her for is this, then I don't have to protect it because it's not valuable to me. I only need it for this particular thing. Um, so that's what protection looks like for me. Yeah. Hey, thanks for sharing, and, and thanks for jumping into that space. So I'm going to jump in here, because I, th I think that the reason why we always have to redefine and ask Black women how they need to be protected is because there are a lot of us that don't really see Black women as being human, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we see them through the lens of, you know, as H said, like what, what, what we want them for, what we need them for, as opposed to seeing mm -hmm. them as the cradle of civilization, right? And so... It's kind of tough to protect people that you don't even like, right? It's like a lot of us grow up like not really like or being taught to not like and appreciate black women. And so like I made a conscious effort to love black women. And it comes natural for me. My mother's black, my daughter's black, you know, everybody who I love is you know, everybody who I love is black, right? And so like so I want to make sure that I put 
black women at the foremost at the, before I even put myself. So like protection of, of, of womanhood, protection of black women means that like I, I, I give my, I throw my life on the line before I will let anything happen to any black woman that I care about. That's protection for me. And so, but it don't, doesn't always have to be with me throwing my hands, right? It, it has to do with me being a provider with me making sure that the folks that I love don't want for anything, making sure that, you know, I, I'm a provider and that, you know, I allow people to provide for themselves if that's what they want to do and that's how they want to show up, right? And so it, it's it's a lot of different ways, a lot of nuance to protecting Black women. But I think that it starts first with asking Black women how they want to be protected, right? Mm-hmm. And then holding yourself to that standard of whatever it is they feel is if they need in order for you to show that they've been protected. And so that's 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 where I'm at. Um. So, you know, speaking of protection, you know, there were some people that felt like they needed to protect their wives at the Oscars. And so here we are. We're here. And so H, because I got reprimanded already in the comments about not letting you go first on protection of black women. <laughs> what, <laughs> what were your thoughts on this? So I um, had a lot of conversations with my friends on the group chat and my mother and all these other people about it, right? And so I think you can feel a couple different ways. Do I think that him smacking (laughs) Chris Rock was about only protecting Jada? Maybe, I don't know. Um, Maybe it was about his ego. Maybe it was about his frustration. Maybe it was about being sick of somebody talking crazy. Um, Apparently they had a long history where he had been making comments again and again and again. And I recognize that he's a comedian and that comedians tell jokes, but that wasn't like a stand-up show. Um, It was the Oscars, right? It wasn't a comedy set. (laughs) And I think what we have to think about to me is like where, like, it's the context of it. Like, do you have to be talking about me and making me a black woman, the butt of the joke in front of like all of these white people at the Oscars? Like, is that the the right time and context? So, you know, I, and then I think that people are, you know, it seemed like folks were really upset because it felt like they were like, well, he's a good, clean, wholesome guy. He was a rapper that didn't use foul language. And he like upheld his way. He played Muhammad Ali and he played all these great people. And I think one thing we have to learn from this is that, you know, you can be more than one thing at the same time. I am um, I'm, I'm published and I have a doctorate and I'm very successful, but you can get these hands, right? Like don't let what I have and, and who I am and how I show up make you think that you can try me or anybody else for that matter. And you, he can be an Oscar winner and from West Philly and don't play like that. And so I think that we yeah. have to understand that pe- we gotta stop putting people in boxes and making creating some narrative around what we think they can and cannot do. I also don't think it's cool for all those people who were like, oh, well, he should have checked him, but he should have done it privately. That's what's wrong with us. We do too much checking privately and not enough checking publicly. We've been protecting pedophiles. We're protecting criminals. We're talking about it silently in our own private stuff. Call people out. You want to jump? What, what did Brand Nubian say? Punks jump up to get beat down? Stop trying it for people. Stop trying it. And then you won't get slapped in the Oscars. 
That's my take. <laughs> Not <laughs> leave people alone. I mean, <clears throat> one, I don't watch the Oscars, so I want to be clear. Like, I was just like, "What happened now?" Like, Simmons, you ain't see the Oscars? Like, no, nah, man, I don't, I don't watch the Oscars. Um, I, I just think that who am I to tell Will Smith what triggered him at that moment? Do I do I think that um, comedians go too far? I do, um, and I think that's where I struggle with my own hypocrisy because sometimes I laugh at it in the same way that I consume randomly ignorant hip hop that I have no business consuming, right? But yet I check our son's phone, like, what you listening to? But as soon as he get out the car, I'm cranking the, the Nipsey all the way to the crib, right? And two minutes before the next meeting start. Um, all that said, I think Chris Rock's attempt at humor was out of pocket because part of protecting black women is honoring their strength during moments of struggle. And as I understand it, Jada Pinkett Smith has alopecia. And for me, why would you do that in particular at a moment where you know, and I, I ain't going to badmouth Cory Booker, but like, yeah, you said what you said, but it would have been really impactful for him to break decorum in the U.S. Senate and stand up in the middle of these white men psychologically attempting to lynch this system to the point where she had one single solitary tear. That was her one emotion over three days that she held in. Right. And so I, I, I don't, I didn't really know what to make of, of Will Smith because I was like, well, I don't live in their house. So I don't know what all is going on, but I think that it also distracted. And this is the dilemma that we face as black folks. Like it distracted from Questlove, the brother who I think produced the Oscars I read yeah, uh, I think Samuel Jackson got his first Oscar and it was like Denzel who gave it to him. Um, and I was proud to see Samuel Jackson because my mother, who was at Spelman when, when he was at Morehouse, always tell the story of seeing him on stage when when they were students and how she was always impressed with his ability to tell a story. Um, and so I'm conflicted on this. And normally I have an opinion and normally I have some fancy research and statistics to to lean into it with. But in this case, I'm a bit conflicted because on the one hand, if if that was my mama, I mean, I'm from the west side of Detroit. Like, I, I might roll up on you and, you know, like, I might have something other than hands for you in Detroit. Like, you ain't going to talk about my mama like that. Like, I ain't do mama jokes as a kid because my daddy was in prison. So, like, all I had was my mama and my granny. I ain't do that. Like, nah, you ain't. 
And I had more fights when mama jokes. And once the word got around, like, nah, that dude, don't mess with him and mama jokes. You could talk about his dog. You could talk about his daddy because he might actually have a joke about that, that clown. But you can't talk about his mama. So I think for me, I'm not in his shoes. And I can't suggest any of that. But it was disappointing because it distracted from what should have been a, a night of black excellence. And, in, and instead, it was a night of, of, of two black men who, <laughs> you know, like they both got a lot of money. So that's the other reason why I'm kind of like, I don't care who they are, but they got a lot of money. So like, you know, it's like when a baseball player is threatening to go on strike, like millionaires argue with billionaires. I don't care about that. So I'm torn on it. Right. And I, I see the space to black women to tell me, you know, what, what to make of it, what to make of it. So. Yeah, bro. I appreciate you sharing. I got some thoughts too. And they're not going to be very popular thoughts, but I still have some thoughts. And so <clears throat> my first thought is uh, for the past three years, we've seen one Willard Smith, become a mere fragment of himself. We've seen his manhood challenged. We've seen like uh, him dragged in the media uh, in terms of his wife having an affair on him. And, you know, it, there's some nefarious thinking behind the fact that, you know, maybe it's an open relationship or maybe whatever it is, but whatever it may be, I've never heard or seen anyone sourced to Will Smith. So whatever he has done in said open marriage or whatever, he has protected his wife in that sense that it is not out in the public and there's nobody uh, that's running around talking about, oh, I've been with Will Smith. However, on the other side of that, this guy has faced public ridicule with regards to his wife uh, dating his her, her, her son's friend, you know, who happens to be an artist in the industry as well. And I'm just thinking about that. I'm thinking about like the multiple breakdowns that he's had. I'm thinking about this whole Bel Air thing and him thinking about, you know, his son that he had with his first wife or whatever. Um, thinking about, you know, some of the traumas that he's probably gone through with not winning Oscars from Ali and like other uh, films that he may should have won Oscars with regards to. And I think that it was, it was a psychological break for him, right? Because like when he initially reacted to... Um, when he initially reacted, he was laughing, right? And then, you know, from from various uh, news captures or whatever, he looked at her, made eye contact with her. She wasn't laughing. She rolled her eyes or whatever. And then all of a sudden, that made him uh, uh, turn into an aggressor, right? And so I'm thinking, you know, if this is one of those situations to where he felt like this was going to make the world see him as a man if he went up and he and he uh, assaulted Chris Rock. But But here's what I want to say about that. Right, they're not even in the same weight class, right? You don't score no for me. You know, you you protecting a woman or whatever. You don't score no points for me by going up and, and, and slapping Chris Rock, who's like five six, one hundred and fifty pounds, when you six two two something, right? Like that's you're supposed to do that. You you like that's not that's that's nothing for me, right? And I know I hear a lot of folks that are like, well, he ain't whoop August Alcina like that or whatever. Like I don't expect for him to do that as well. What I expect for him to do is, is he's going to, if he's going to continue to to be with his wife, right, who who has, who has put him through this, this emotional wreckage and like all these things that he's gone through, is for him to go to therapy and be able to deal with it 
without physically assaulting anyone else, right? Because I felt like it was a better approach in a teachable moment for other folks that are fans for him that could have learned from this situation, right? So, like, yeah. he could have handled that situation with respect and decorum and still got the same message across as he got from smacking him with his hands. He could have smacked him with words. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Let me ask, though. Do you yeah. think Chris Rock would have did that skit if it was LL Cool J or Suge Knight? Yes. Hell no. Yes. No. He knew that he could make. He thought he he had he was in that moment. You know when we talk about a bully, right? He knew yeah. he was a target. He knew he could talk about him because he had paid, absolutely he had pegged him as some square who lets his wife go on red table and talk crazy. He he pegged all the things that you just said about him, the trauma and the book, mm. and he weak and he this. He wouldn't have said no nothing crazy like that to Suge Knight. He wouldn't have said nothing crazy like that to LL Cool J's wife or, or Ice Cube's wife. It'd have been a it'd have been a joke about Ice T. Really? Absolutely not. Oh no. So have you have you got have you so have you guys followed Chris Rock's career? Chris Rock is Chris Rock has made fun of a, a, a sure. ton of different like Chris, Chris Rock is coming like Tyson. He's coming a lot of people. Sure, but he didn't come at them at the Oscars after what he what you just described him going through. If that was LL Cool J, he would not have made that joke about him. If that was yeah. Ice Cube, he would not have made that joke about him. Not at so all. He tried it because he thought he could. And we have all been on the block and in schools and in playgrounds and on basketball courts where somebody tried it because they thought that they could. Yeah, and, and it ended badly. And it, it ended it, it, badly. It always ends badly. Hey, but so I want to address this though, right? Because I heard a lot of French speaking uh, the night of the Oscars, right? I heard a lot of people saying, oh, we look bad and Will Smith made us look bad and we, 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 we. Mm. No, 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 Interesting. no. Will Smith made himself look bad. Will Smith didn't make me look bad because I wasn't at the Oscars and neither were you, right? You weren't at the Oscars either. And so this is not an indictment on black men this is not an indictment on black people this is an indictment on will smith and chris rock this has nothing to do yeah. with you this has nothing to do with black people writ large so like stop trying to think piece this shit to try to make all black men uh uh, uh be will smith right. and chris rock. Violence, that's, right. that's, that's the thing i also don't appreciate people talking about we don't condone violence where were you on january 5th and 6th like we, we a country who lived we're built on violence we came that's, in, right. that's all we do so if you don't think it was an appropriate venue for him to address that, that's one thing. But all this, like, we don't condone violence, whatever. Trans lives are getting lost every day. People yeah. can There are still places where young people have to be in the house before the streetlights come on in yeah, the year right. of 2022 because it's not safe for them out there. So for folks to be like, that was violent, he's a terrible person, stop it. That That is, that is where we draw the line. Or the other group of people who are like, oh, my yes. God, this was the worst thing I've ever seen at the Oscars is if they don't remember... Uh, what's her name? Uh, was it Hattie McDaniel where she Hattie had to McDaniel. sit at a table? Yeah. What was her name? Hattie, Hattie McDaniel. McDaniel. She's a sorrow. Where, where the she's story was? Yes, I just said that. She's a sorrow as well. That's right. <laughs> Hattie McDaniel. That's right. Tell the story, Doc. In the back corner. I mean, in the back corner, as a proud Sigma Gamma Rho, um, just like, and people, I just was like, come on, man. Like, this is the worst thing ever. Like, did did you see Denzel get passed over for X, mm -hmm. but yet he won for playing a hyper 
masculine, corrupt, violent black man he want? Like, come on. Let me let me let me ask y'all this, right? And y'all both doctors, right? I'll be there soon. But I I want I want y'all to analyze this though, right? For years, past five years, right? Yeah. We've seen uh, this this campaign of Oscar's so white. Well, Oscar's ain't white no more. How y'all feeling? I got another question. If that had happened at the BET Awards, would people have been upset? <laughs> if that happened at the BET Awards. No. And not the Oscars. Would people have would it have been the same thing? Would it have been? wasn't upset on versus when uh uh who was it? Three Bone six thugs and three Bone six thugs and three six got into it. Yeah. People was like hype, like, oh yeah, like, right. yeah, like so it's not about the incident and it's not that's about well or protecting black women. It's about people being upset that they think he showed his ass in front of white people. <laughs> yes, yes, that's facts. Fair enough. Yeah, that's facts. All right. Um, all right, so closing thoughts. Uh, Ace, we'll start with you. Closing thoughts. Um, you know, I, I'm really excited to be back. You know, community, and I'm not just saying that, but, you know, my research is about sense of belonging and community, and we recognize that there is strength and connection. There is um, peace there. There is power there. There is joy. And so, you know, shout out to to you guys and for being back together and for using this as an opportunity to both think about where I stand on things and to push myself and to, to hopefully inspire others. So shout out to belonging and being back in the fold. Yeah. What's up? Doc, what's happening? I, I, I'm just thankful that every Monday and Wednesday I get to do what my father never did for me. I get to go see my little boy get up his mid-range jumper like from 7 o'clock to 8.30. Like, it's an amazing thing. So I'm living in the moment. Like, I'm living the dream of just being proud of him and just, you know, seeing him talking about basketball, thinking about basketball, what he needs to do at school to be eligible to play. Um, and it just warms my heart when, when, I, when I just, you know, sit in the stands and whether he makes the shot or whatever, he just looks over and he just gives me this look to make sure I'm – I'm there and I'm always like, I'm there, dog. Like, daddy gonna be there. So shout out to John Simmons getting his mid-range jumper on. <laughs> Whether he make checks or not, I just want him to be happy as a little black boy in America. Yeah. That's what's up, man. Thanks for sharing that. That's always uh super important when uh black dads can be there for their sons. Yeah. Um, so my final thought, man, I'm dedicating this to my daughter. Uh so we uh state testing started today. We had uh, 90% of our students participate in state testing. And, you know, it, before we get to why it wasn't 100, we're on Long Island. And Long Island is the epicenter of the opt-out movement. And so what that means is you have folks that are uh, extremely wealthy that have decided that, you know, instead of participating in mandatory state testing, that they're going to opt their kids out uh, due to the fact that they want to send the, the, system, the, the system a signal. Uh, that they want to believe in teachers and they want to, you know, and, and I don't not believe in teachers, but I believe in data. Right. And so there's some things that I know that aren't being taught to my kid and me being able to use the results of her standardized tests in order to go out and get her the things that she needs in terms of not mastering the standards that she masters is my right as a parent. Right. And nobody's going to take that away from me. And so we fall into these tropes of, um, 
oh, you know, if the rich kids aren't taking the test, then everybody shouldn't take the test, which is absolutely false because you have parents that have the abilities to go out and uh, get tutors and, and, and have access to things that we don't necessarily have access to. So again, instead of you, uh, you know, believing in your child and not believing in the system, uh, you believe in these tropes and, and, and that's putting your kid uh, behind even more because it's not setting you up for success in terms of what they need in order to be proficient, in order to be successful in college. And so what we'll see is we'll see a lot of 12th graders that will get the opportunity to go to college but the first year that they're in college, they're taking remediation classes, right? And so all their financial aid is being drawn in on the first couple of years. And then on the tail end of their financial aid, they're having to take out loans and putting themselves in predicaments that they wouldn't necessarily have to be in if they got a really good K-12 education. And so that's my energy for today. And as always, we appreciate y'all. Um, yeah, and we'll see you next week. Hey!